Well, as James said, we are concluding our series, Soundtrack, What Does Your Life Sound Like? And so, so I have a, a question, just a basic question for you. We, we talk about different songs that ought to be playing in the life of every believer, and if we're going to play songs in the life of believers, or in any, even if you're in your own personal CD collection, what kind of songs do you enjoy listening to? Good ones or bad ones? I, I, I don't know about y'all. I personally like to listen to bad songs. Um, I, I enjoy good songs. I enjoy listening to the very best that there is. Now, one of my, one of my favorite bands growing up, now I grew up in the 1980s. One of my favorite bands in the 80s was the band Journey. Now, do we have any fans here of Journey? Now, that was, yes, we do. Yeah, we, all, we can all clap, yes. Now, now th- if you think about some of your favorite songs that Journey played, now, now what, what are some of the songs that you think of? When I think of Journey, these are some of the songs that I would like to listen to when I get in my car. Can you all think of any? Don't Stop Believing. That's a good one for church. That's a good one. Don't Stop Believing. I preach that every week. Don't Stop Believing. Uh, one of my favorites is Stone in Love. You all know that song? Now, I don't know what that means. I have no idea. If you listen to the lyrics, it makes no sense, but it really sounds good. Um, I like, uh, you know, then there's open arms, faithfully, anytime those songs will come on. Uh, and I have the Journey's Greatest Hits. As soon as I put faithfully on, you know, Emily's all over me, so I have to kind of, you know, I have to, I have to go ahead and hit the fast forward button. Y'all, I'm just kidding if you know Emily. She's all over me anyway. doesn't matter. Uh, but there's a, there's a, there's a lot of, she's, she's enjoying this. There's a lot of songs that I enjoy listening to, and so I want the greatest hits. Now, now as believers, if we are going to have a soundtrack, what does your life sound like? One thing that you want is you want the greatest hits to be playing in your life, so that when people are around you, that when they look into your life, they are going to see through the way that you live the kind of music that is played in your life that comes from God. And I believe that one of the greatest songs, one of the greatest sounds that ought to come out of the life of a believer is the song of love. One thing that all believers ought to be marked by is by being people of love. And then the Bible tells us some very important things about love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, known as what? What kind of chapter is it? The love chapter. Here's what it says. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now if the greatest of these is love, then I believe that a trait that ought to be in your life and my life ought to be love. And I, and I think we're going to all agree with that. You know, we ought to, you know, it's real easy to say this. You know, as Christians, we ought to be loving people. Mom, would you all agree with that? We ought to be people that are loving. Now, now here's my question, because I'm just, I'm really simple. What does that mean, that I ought to be a loving person? You know, what does love mean? I mean, do you have any idea? I mean, it sounds, it sounds good, but how do we actually put that into practice? Like the little girl who said, I love broccoli. So her mom makes broccoli, and she, and she passes it around, and everybody gets some except for the little girl. And she said, I thought you said you loved broccoli. She said, I do. I love broccoli, but just not enough to eat it. Now, now, we like the idea, in a similar sense, we like the idea of love in the abstract, but when it comes to actually practicing it, you know, not so much. You know, we, we like the sound of it, but what exactly does it mean? 
And that's what I want us to do today as we look in our scripture, just simply to look and see, you know, what does love mean? You know, how does that, you know, how do you define it? Because to me, in, in a lot of ways, it's sort of, it's this concept that just sort of floats in the air, and I just don't have a clue, really, as to what it means, how do I put it into practice. So we're going to look today in Romans chapter 13, and we're going to look in verse number 8. So Romans chapter 13, verse number 8, Paul wrote this letter. Now, since it's a letter called Romans, it was addressed to Romans, the Christians that were living in Rome. And uh, if you were living in Rome during this time, it was not easy to be a Christian. Uh, If you were a Christian, your faith was considered to be subversive to the government. Uh, Therefore, what was going on during this time and for years afterwards is that Christians were persecuted because of their faith. Now, when that began to happen, of course, it's very easy when things aren't going your way, when things aren't easy, then it's easy to sort of step back and kind of hide and cocoon yourself from the rest of society because you don't want to have to pay any kind of price. But then you get to this scripture, and these are the people Paul's writing to, and he says, you are to be a people of love. You are to love other people. So what does that mean? Well, let's look and see how love is defined. First of all, what is love? Well, first of all, this is what we can say about love. Love is a debt. Love is a debt. Now, I want you to look with me in verse number 8. It says, Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. If you look at the beginning of verse number 8, it says, do not owe anyone anything. Now, now, Paul, in the previous two verses, Paul speaks of paying what you owe. If you owe taxes, you know what Paul says? To pay them. And gosh, I was like, man, why didn't he say something different? But he says, you pay them. Paul says, if you owe someone honor, he said, you pay that person honor. If someone is owed respect... What Paul says, you give them respect. And then he comes here and he says, but you are not to owe anyone anything. Now, some people have taken that, meaning that you are never to go into debt. You are to never, you are to never owe any kind of money to anyone. Now, now here's my belief, and so we're going to slide off our main subject just for a second. I, I do not believe that this scripture is teaching that you are never to have debt. Matter of fact, Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 8 tells us if there's a poor person among you, one of your brothers within your gates, what does Paul say? Or what does Deuteronomy say? He said, don't be, don't be tight-fisted. What else does he say? Freely open your hand. Freely loan him enough for whatever need he has. There are times when people need a loan. There are times when people need to borrow. So what, what we are told is if you do have to borrow, make sure, first of all, that it's wise. Make sure that you, that you get a loan from a reputable lender. And then once you get a loan, well, you don't want to make sure that it doesn't enslave you, but make sure that you pay it back. Pay back your loan. Verse number 8 could also be translated, do not keep on owing anyone anything. Now, we have a serious debt problem in our country today. I looked up, uh, you know, last week, and I'm sure it's gone even higher. You know what our national debt is? And it's mine. Well, we get used to saying it, but if you really look at it, it is crazy. 
$21.6 trillion. That is the debt we have as a nation. Now, I know that all of us in this room say that is ridiculous. It makes us frustrated. It may, I mean, I just think that I don't understand. But as I say that, you know, I can gripe about the national government, but then let's start turning it on ourselves. You know what kind of debt we have as individuals? You know what the average credit card debt for the average American is today? $17,000. That's the average credit card debt for Americans. You know what the interest rate is on those credit cards, the average interest rate? It's not 2%. Y'all, it's 18%. Now, if you just ask me, and I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I look at that and I think, that ain't very smart. Uh, that, that's, not, that's not having good debt. That's not wise borrowing. And Paul says, make sure you do not owe anyone anything. Now, I know that in our dream world, think of what your life would be like if you didn't owe anything. Would you, do you think your life would be simpler if, if your house was paid off? Would, would it be simpler if you didn't have a car payment? Would it be simpler if you didn't have student loan debt? or paying for your children's student loan debt? I mean, do do you think life would be easier? I mean, absolutely, it would be so much pressure lifted off of your shoulder, and yet Paul says don't have debt. He said, but there is one debt that you ought to always have as believers, and that is the debt of love. We ought to always be paying love towards other people. Now, that sounds good, but I look at it and think, I can't do that. Yeah, I I can't love that many people all the time. I don't feel like loving people a lot of the time. But if you are a follower of Jesus, we are told in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now the key there, it says the fruit of the Spirit. It's not, your, it's not you. It is the fruit of the Spirit. When you follow Jesus, He is working in you so that you can produce the fruit of love towards others. It doesn't come from you. So if you follow Jesus, He will give you enough in order to always be paying out love to other people. Now let me try to give you some sort of an illustration here. And this is probably more directed toward the the mothers in our church than anybody else. Uh, Mothers, do you enjoy... Picking up after your children. Do you enjoy going into the rooms and seeing the pigsty that most of your children have in the rooms and saying, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean this up? Do you, do you enjoy always cooking for your children? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer for you and just say, my guess is probably not. So then the question is, well, then why do you do it? And then so I know some of you are sitting there thinking, because if I don't do it, I know my husband's not going to do it. Somebody's got to do this job. Now, I'll, I'll give you the simple, you do it for a very simple reason. Um, and and it's, because, it's because of love, ultimately. Now, I can think, I won't tell you which one of our children it is, um, but one of our children left for school, and Emily uh, gave that child that we have uh, a muffin. And so that child put it in his car and then about two months later, his first trip home, he comes home, Emily goes out there, and she's going through his car, and she finds that same muffin in the backseat of his car, and he's not touched. And, you know, that is a science experiment. I mean, it's disgusting. 
but she cleaned it up. Now, now why did she do that? Well, it's, it's for a lot of reasons, but ultimately it's got to come down to this, because she loves our children. And you know one of the great things that happens as a parent is whenever your children begin to recognize that you actually love them. And they recognize that you do things for them because you care for them. That's one of the great joys in life. So paying out love is to be a part of the life of a believer. Uh, Jesus reiterated this in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. He gave us a simple command. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. He said, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So, so then here's the question. Is your personal soundtrack playing the song of love? You see, our faith depends upon love. Without love, we cannot have a relationship with Jesus. Without love, we cannot be reconciled to God. I mean, that's why John 3.16 starts off by saying, For God so loved the world. It's because He loved the world that He enables us to be reconciled to Himself. See, love is a key that opens people's hearts to the gospel of Jesus. And Village Church, since we are ambassadors of Jesus, we're called to act like Jesus. We're to love people. So that's just sort of the, the start. You know, what is love? How do we define love? Well, love, love is a debt. It's something we are always to be paying. It's not like you love somebody and say, hey, I'm done. I've already loved that person. No, it's a debt. You continually, you continually love people. But here's the second way we define love. Love is also a command. It's a command. Now look with me in verse 9. It says, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covenant, or covet, and if there is any other commandment, all are summed up by this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you look in verse number 9 and you see those things, you're not supposed to commit adultery, murder, um, steal, or covet, where, where do you think those commands come from? They're part of the Ten Commandments. Now, those are just four. And so if you want to know the other ten, you can go to Exodus chapter 20, but those are four. Now, the point that, that Paul is making right here, he says, if you love someone, these are four things you will not do if you love. Now, what will we not do if we love? He says, you won't commit adultery, you won't murder, you won't steal, and you won't covet. Now, sometimes what we do is we, we take those things and we agree with them, but then we rationalize as well. Well, here's why I want what they have. It's not fair that they have something that I want, and so we rationalize it away. Or we, we, we look at adultery, and we don't, we don't call it that. We say, well, I, you know, I've fallen out of love with my spouse, and now I have found my soulmate over here. And y'all believe me, I understand. There are times when I look at, at, at marriage, and I see some things people are going through, and I'm like, yeah, I understand why they don't like each other. I get that. But here's the deal. When you get married as a believer, you have made a covenant with God. Thank God I will honor you and I will love my spouse till death do us part. Now, don't get mad at me. I did not make up this rule. If you don't like that, that's not, your problem's not with me. It is what God says. Adultery, it is, it is impurity. It is immorality. 
we're told in Hebrews 13.4, marriage must be respected by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge immoral people and adulterers. So murder, stealing, coveting, they're all in the same line. If you really love someone, you won't do these things to them. If you go through the Mosaic Law, which is the first five books of the Bible, you will see that there are sixteen or six, 613 rules and regulations that we're to follow. And you, and you look at that and you think, man, that is impossible. That's a lot of rules. And here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus takes that which is so complex and he just squashes it all down into one thing that's so easy to follow. Or so easy to understand, not follow. Jesus puts it all down and he says, here it is, 613 rules and regulations. Here's what I tell you. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, he doesn't encourage us to do that. He commands it. Now, there's a big difference between encouraging and commanding. You know, when, I, when somebody encourages me to do something, you know, I have an option. You know, if you encourage me to eat healthy and to exercise and do all those things that are right for you, it's an option for me. It's like, I'll consider that, which means I'm not going to do it. But if it's a command, now that's different. You know, if I'm commanded to do something then I, and I follow it, then I'm putting myself under the leadership of someone else and saying, I will follow your lead because you're in charge. So that, that's what Jesus does. He says, I command you to love. And I, I'm going to be honest, I struggle with that. I struggle when, when I get a command from anybody. When God gives me a command, I like, I, there's a lot of times I look at Jesus as my consultant. Hey, Jesus, what do you think? Okay, well, that's an idea. Let me, y'all, let me tell you something. Jesus is not a consultant. You know what he is? He's Lord. And if he is Lord, then he is to be obeyed. And for good reason. Because he knows what he's talking about. I don't know if y'all, I'm sure you're very familiar with General Charles Duke. He grew up in Lancaster, South Carolina. He's an astronaut. He was not well known because he's from Lancaster. Uh, he is uh, he's well known because he was one of the guys on the Apollo 16 mission, walk on the moon. Um, when he went there, uh, he had very strict instructions, rigid instructions about what he was to do when he got on the moon. Um, now he, I believe he had the opportunity to drive the moon buggy. Now, when he got in the moon buggy, it's not like he went four-wheeling. He didn't hop in there and start slinging moon dust around everywhere. He drove precisely to where he's supposed to go. He came back at the exact time when he was supposed to come back. And there was a reason for that. And I thought this was really interesting. When they landed on the moon for Apollo 16, they had only 60 seconds of fuel left to get them back into orbit so they could return to Earth. 60 seconds. He, he didn't go there to say, I'm going to play. When he got there, he said, I have instructions and I'm going to follow them because if I don't, I'm going to be in trouble. He wanted to use his time wisely. That story reminded me that, y'all, we are all on a schedule. We will live and then we're going to die. And so we don't have time to be playing around, messing around doing whatever we want without the instruction and leadership of the Lord. So what can we do? We need to start praying like King David did in Psalm 90.12 when he said, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. 
And one of the ways to demonstrate wisdom is by following God's command to love. Now, who are we to love? Verse number 9 tells us who, who we're to love. Who are we to love? Our neighbor. Who's, who's our neighbor? You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Our neighbor, ultimately it comes down to this, our neighbor is anyone we come into contact with. Our, our neighbor is anyone that is in our sphere of influence. It's not just your next door neighbor. It is the people that you gather around. Our neighbor is anyone that we can help. Our neighbor is anybody that we can point to Jesus. So, so then what is love? Love is a debt. Love is a command. And this one's interesting to me. Love is a fulfillment of God's law. Verse number 10 says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Martin Luther, who basically kicked off you know, the whole Reformation thing with the 95 Theses, here, here's what happened to him. He read in the book of Romans, and when he read it, he began to realize that he came into a relationship with God, not by how well he performed in this life, but that it was merely by God's grace, and it gave him so much freedom. Matter of fact, we are told in Romans 1.17, For in it God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. In, in other words, whenever we place our faith that God, in, in God, that he will make us righteous with him through his grace. So when he read Romans, he saw grace. So that's why it's interesting to me. So we talk about grace. We, we do not come into relationship with God by our performance. It is by God's goodness and his grace. But then we get to verse 10, and Paul says, fulfill God's law. Well, I thought we got past the law. I don't think I had to worry about the law anymore. What's up with that? Why do I have to worry about the law? I thought grace was, was good enough, because if I'm going to live by the law, I'm in trouble, and so are you. James 2.10 says, for whoever keeps the entire law yet fails in just one point is guilty of breaking it all. You know what that means? You can't keep the law. Paul says you've got to fulfill it. I'm like, well, I can't do it. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, no, not even one. So then what's he talking about here? The fulfillment of the law doesn't bring salvation, but here's the deal. When you follow after it, it shows that you belong to God. You have been made righteous by God's grace. And because of what he's done for you, because you love him, you want to do what Scripture says. Not, not depending, not, it's not de making you dependent upon, upon salvation by how well you perform. He says, if you, if you love God, you're going to want to do what he says. See, the law no longer makes you a slave. Jesus has paid the price for you so that you can have freedom from it. But because you love Jesus, you want to please him. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made the one, Jesus, who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So the new twist is now we want to follow the law because we love God. You know, it's, it's a, lot, a lot of this to me makes sense whenever I start kind of putting it into a marriage perspective. Now let's, let's say, uh, ladies, let's say your husband goes out and, uh, and he's at work, he comes home from work, and he has your favorite, your favorite kind of flowers. And he comes, he says, honey, I'm sorry I'm late, uh, but I went to the florist shop, and I, I knew the f your f favorite flowers would be there, but they had sold out. 
So I drove across town to find them, and I just wanted to give these flowers to you and tell you I love you. Now, if your husband did that for you, what, do you, what are you going to think? Other than that maybe he's drunk. I mean, what are you going to think? You're, you're going you're gonna to think, but that was neat. Now, how sweet of him. Now, but what if he brought home the same flowers that you loved, and he just threw them down on the kitchen counter and said, I got you some flowers, and he walked off and went to his room. Are they going to carry the same weight and value for you? Probably not. Now, you could look at that and say, well, what does it matter? You got the same flowers. You ought to be pleased with it. It's, it's attitude. You know, when somebody does something for you out of love as opposed to, like, obligation, there is a huge difference. There's something sweet whenever a person cares for another person out of love. When you act in love, you know, love is transformative in a person's life. When someone knows they are loved, it moves their heart. It opens them up. It makes them more receptive to you and to what you believe in and to your God. And, and y'all, that is, to me, that really is, that is the purpose of the law. It's not to demonstrate how rigid God is. It's to demonstrate through our actions that we love God. You see, whenever, whenever you follow after Jesus you're not going to wrong your neighbor. And, and that convicted me. Because at my core, my nature is to be judgmental. When I see people do things that are not wise, and, and of course I don't look at myself that way. I just like to look outwards. And so when I look at other people and I see what they do and I see bad decisions they make, I want to I wanna, I wanna lash out. I want to chew them out. And not really to make them better, but just to make me feel better. I want to get all over them. But, yeah, but let me tell you something. That is not a song that they need to hear from your life. Now, I'm not saying that as believers because we love people that we just, you know, we say, we, I don't care what you do. I'm just going to be loving. Yeah, there, there's something called loving in truth. You know, being truthful with people. But the way you present yourself makes a really big difference. Let me give you an example. You know, a doctor can tell you the truth, but it not be very helpful or encouraging. A doctor can tell you, hey, you have a disease, and I want you to know this disease is going to kill you. Okay, that, that, that doesn't, I mean, that's true, it's not, but it's not helpful. Now, if a doctor says, you have this disease and it can kill you, but we can treat it. There's actually, there's something we can do where you can survive. Oh, I, I, I don't know about you, I'm liking option two better. Now, that's somebody who's speaking truth, but he shares love. So as believers, how do, we, how do we show love? You know what? Whenever we talk to people that we know that we love and care for and we know they're headed down a wrong path, we can tell those people, if you live like that, I promise you it leads to death and destruction. But here's love, but there's a cure. And it's Jesus. Jesus can take you and he can mend you and He can forgive you, and He can restore you, and He can give you eternal life. Well, that's love. Now, so then here's the question. What is love? It's, it's a debt. We owe it. It's a command. Jesus told us to give it. And then it's a fulfillment of God's, God's law. You know, one of the greatest signs that shows that we are followers of Jesus is that we love each other. So does your life, do your actions give evidence of that? You, so I don't know. What, what are some things I can do? 
So here's some, here's some tangible things you can do. One, one way to, to love other people, we have, we have our C4 ministries. This is, this is the way we're, as a church, we're going to engage community. So in our church, the way we demonstrate love, the vehicle we use is our C4 ministry. We're going we're gonna to love on our community, in our campuses, in our care ministries, in our civic responsibilities. A lot of different things fall under that. You can go outside or go in the foyer, and we have a brochure there, and you can start looking. Hey, where, where, is, a, where is an area where I, can, where I can serve and demonstrate love? Okay, so that's one thing that you can do. Other things you can do, think, think about just some practical things you can do to, to demonstrate love to your, to, your, to your spouse, to your children, to your neighbors. You know, maybe, it, maybe it, it's uh, with your spouse and maybe with your children. Maybe you need to begin to, to use your words in a way that build them up and not tear them down. And you can speak truth, speak it in love. I bet maybe with the, with the neighbor. When they're outside, you, you can go over there and begin to engage them in conversation and develop a friendship. Find out what their needs are and say, you know what, I w- I'm going to be praying for you. Now, those are just some simple things that we can do in order to demonstrate love. You can invite someone into church because you, say, you can tell them, I, there is a cure out there. It's Jesus. He gives hope. He gives life. And there could be others of you, and you might say, you know, those things sound good, but you know, when I look at my life, I, I'm just angry. I'm just an angry person. Well, I have some encouragement for you too. You can just simply go to God in prayer and say, God, I, I feel like I've been shafted, I've been wronged, and I'm ticked off about it. Guys, let me tell you something. God's big enough to hear your complaints. Tell him. But then say, God, I need your healing. Be willing to put yourself under his leadership. And, to say, and this is the big part. Say, Jesus, I don't understand why all these things are happening, but Jesus, I'm going to trust you because I believe you're God. I believe you're all-knowing and you're all-powerful. And so whatever it might be, guys, God is big. He will listen, and it gives you an opportunity to learn and to start trusting him. So what kind, of, what kind of music is your life playing? One of the big ones that will be playing in your life is love. Heavenly Father, I am grateful for your word. I thank you, Jesus, for the, the hope that you give us. And God, it, it began for us where we were able to, where it's really tangible for us, our very first Christmas, when you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to enter into our world in order to bring redemption and restoration. God, I I pray that that will move us in our hearts to know that that we have a God who actually knows who we are. And Lord, I pray that it will move us to follow you, to submit to you, and to say, I will follow you, Jesus, no matter what. God, I pray that the music in our lives, the music from this church that will be played, that it will be love. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.